0: Well, if you have your Bibles, you know what book we're in, right? I think I finally figured it out. It's not John, it's Mark. Turn to the Gospel of Mark. And you should know this because you've been reading in it all week. What chapter are we in? Three. Good job. At four o'clock this afternoon in the uh, sanctuary down there, uh, I'm telling you, Scott Daniels when we went I told you last week he 's in my top three he 's definitely in my top two now uh, i i 'm telling you he is amazing and uh so you will want to uh make your way down there at four o'clock today and you want to hear him it 's the last service of camp meeting incredible preacher the guy you 're stuck with today yeah okay <laughs> So turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. We'll begin at verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And if you don't know how to look that up, lean into the person next to you and say, just hand it to him and say, uh, where do I go? Um, does anybody have the page number from the pew Bible? Uh, I, uh, 683. Thank you. So you can turn right there and follow along today. Hear the word of the Lord, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man was there with a shriveled hand. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, them being the ones who were wanting to accuse him, looking for a way, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger. And deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Pretty strange, huh? It's not okay to heal someone, but I guess it's okay to plot of death. On the Sabbath, let's pray, let's ask God to teach us today, Lord Jesus, come and proclaim, challenge our stubborn hearts, help us to yield, that your spirit might fill us with compassion, for we ask this in your name, and everyone said, Amen. Well, we're just into this journey together. So if you're new with us or this is the first time you've been here in a while, we want you to know what we're doing so you can follow along with us. We are in a series on the Gospel of Mark, and here's how we're doing it. Uh, if you were here when I first started almost nine years ago, we went verse by verse through the Gospel of John. We took some breaks here and there, but it still took us about four and a half years together. So I still, I think... I'm just coming up to I'm preaching something other than the gospel of John more than preaching the gospel of John in nine years. But what we're doing this time then is each week you are reading a chapter in Mark every day. It doesn't take that long, five, ten minutes. If you've got an audio version, you can listen to it on your way to work and on your way back. Um, it's, it's not that, that difficult to do. And then I am promising to preach from somewhere in there. So all of you have been reading chapter 3 this week. Hopefully you've looked at it a couple of three or four or five or seven times. And uh, and today we're going to look at, at chapter 3. Now, starting today, you should start reading chapter 4. And next week we will preach from there. So we've been seeing in this the pattern of Mark is showing us, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, the long anticipated one, and at the same time challenging us and saying, "But He is not going to do that the way that you expect Him to do that and be those things." And so we're wrestling with this. We we've seen some great things. In fact, Joe didn't Joe do a great job yes last Sunday. Calling us to this, this radical understanding that if He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, then our faith is to be fully placed in Him. And He is the one who can forgive sins. And He is the one who can heal. And He is the one who then calls us forward. That was, a, that was a powerful message. If you weren't here, you should listen to it online. It was good. Um, and so today we begin to move in and we begin to see some things that are going on. Now, a long time ago, probably about five years ago, um, I told you about the way that uh, we kind of live our lives out. I, I, I used four words to describe this. And since it's been about five years ago, you've probably forgotten about it or you weren't here five years ago. And so it's okay for me to tell you once again. And and there is this thing that churches have been doing for a long time. And uh and it is the way that we kind of look. We we kind of hope uh whether you read a self-help book, whether you come to church, uh, whether you go to therapy, uh whatever it is that you do, there is something that's within us that says there is something about what God wants to do in us that changes changes us, that reshapes who we are into a way that uh that flows with life. This, this is the good news. Now, unfortunately for churches, most of the time we got stuck with saying, well that will happen if you and I will just change our behavior. And so we, we spent a lot of time telling people, pastors like, like me, you know, from up here, we would tell people, don't do this, and do more of this. You know, the, the do more of this looks something like, read your Bible, pray, Come to church. Of course, come to church. Oh, and of course, TV preachers, give your offerings. Uh, you know, do those things. Those are the things you do. Those are the behaviors that you want to be a part of. And then the don't uh, list, depending on the denomination you're a part of, there could be a myriad of things. You know, I grew up in the don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go to movies, don't dance. Pretty much if it's fun, it's questionable. Uh, and, and, and we can spend a lot of time and unfortunately a lot of churches get stuck right there It's just just stop it. Just don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that The problem is is that doesn't go deep enough into who we are as human beings Because your behaviors whether you realize it or not are shaped by your values They're like fruit that grows on a tree. It just kind of comes right out of what it is that you value And and so when you value a company, you invest in them, right? That's your behavior because of the value that you place on that thing. And now some folks in some churches began to talk about values. In the 80s and and early 90s, we talked a lot about family values, right? Jim James Dobson pushed us in that direction. You want to vote based on your family. You want to do all these things for the family. We focus on the family, right? That's a value. And those aren't bad, those are good, you know, those are good things. The problem is that it doesn't go deep enough. Because you see, for real change to occur, you have to realize that your values and my values are shaped by our identity. By who we see ourselves to be. And whether, so if we see ourselves to be a Nazarene Christian, uh, then you're probably going to attend a Nazarene church and you're going to you know, be in line with those types of things. It's It's just something that begins to flow out of you. If you're an American, you probably celebrate the 4th of July and you shoot fireworks off. It's just one of those things. It flows out. Now, our passage today, Jesus begins to confront Jewish identity. And there is something there that we need to look at because Jesus understands, Jesus understands that our identity is not the deepest place of change. There's one more step. And that step is your story. The narrative that you find yourself in. And out of that story, we receive an identity that gives us values for living and behaviors that go along and flow out of this together. So what does Jesus do? Well, let's let's look. We want to see because Jesus challenges and we're not just going to look at um, at um, at this passage, but throughout this chapter, you will see some things where Jesus begins to take us back because one of the great identity markers of Jewish folks is the Sabbath. So if you read all of chapter 2 last week, you would see that right before we get to our passage, there are a couple of other passages about the Sabbath and how Jesus and His disciples aren't quite living up to the Sabbath thing. Now, if you don't understand what a Sabbath is, let me share a little bit about that for you. It was a part of their Jewish identity. The Sabbath was something that God gave to the Jewish people to help them. I love what Scott Daniels, the guy who's going to be preaching tonight at 4 o'clock, and you're going to want to be there, right? Tonight, 4 o'clock, down at Indian Lake. This is what he says. He says, okay, the exodus. This happened after the exodus. God said, Israel should have a Sabbath every seven days. You should cease from your labor. Do no work. And let it be a day of rest. I love what Scott says. He says, the exodus... Was when God got Israel out of Egypt. Do you remember that story? How many of you have ever watched the Ten Commandments, that old Charlton Heston movie? Or what was the other one? The Prince of Egypt, you know, the, you know, you've seen, you know the story, right? God does this dramatic thing and rescues his children who have been in Egypt in slavery for, for many, many centuries and he leads them through the Red Sea. It's dramatic. That's the Exodus. For the Sabbath. When God decrees there's, there's one day a week that you won't do any work, you will rest, you will eat as families, you will, you will have this day that will be different. Scott says, the Exodus, God got Israel out of Egypt. Sabbath, God gets Egypt out of Israel. Because see, they had been slaves for generations and generations and generations. And when they were slaves, you work every day of your life. You get up, you gather straw, you put it in the mud, you, you, you trample it down in there, you pull it out, you make bricks every day, seven days a week, you meet your quota, you have to do this every single day. And so this is what they had been raised in, generation after generation after generation. And God says, okay, while we're out here in the desert, on the seventh day, no work. No work. You rest. This is something that shows two things. You're dependent on me and that I am the God who delivered you from Egypt. Isn't that good news? I'm glad that we in America, we've gotten over working seven days a week and, and we just we, we get a Sabbath all the time, right? Well, I thought I'd get an amen on that one. Guess what? After we get done with Mark, we're going to have a series on Sabbath. Because if there's one thing Americans need, I don't care if you're rich or poor, it's Sabbath. Those who are in the lower socioeconomic status, they have to work two and three jobs. That's hard to take a Sabbath. Those who are rich, we often get there because we are workaholics. And we work seven days a week. We need Sabbath. It is good. It shows that, uh, that we are dependent upon the God who delivers. That was the story. That's the narrative out of which this idea of Sabbath comes. And it is something that gives an identity and shapes a value. And it meant on the Sabbath you didn't do a lot of stuff. You you, you made sure on Saturday that you prepped food and you, you gathered all that you needed and you, you made sure everything was done so that on that day, you would rest. continues to this day. If you go... To someone who is Jewish, Friday night at sundown till Saturday night at sundown. They eat, they rest, they work, they pray. I mean, I'm sorry, they do no work and they pray. So, why does Jesus want to challenge this identity? You see, it was a good sign, but something had shifted in the culture. Here's what shifted it had become not just a sign that I am trusting on the God who delivers me, but it had become a badge of nationalistic honor, even against my fellow Jews. So it wasn't good enough just that I followed the Sabbath, but I had to make sure that I was following the Sabbath better than you all were following the Sabbath. You know, I'm a religious leader, right? So I should do this better than all of you. And it began to to take place over and over. And it began to be this thing where all of the emphasis was placed on the identity of being a Sabbath keeper. Rather than the story that says, We take this because God got us out of Egypt and then got Egypt out of us. And we are trusting fully on the God. Could I make more money if I worked Friday night and Saturday too? Absolutely. But I'm trusting in the God who delivered. And then spent the time getting Egypt out of me. And showed me a new rhythm of life. We see that Jesus uh, challenges this. And Jesus moves it from the identity back to the story. How does he do that? As Jesus does most things with a question. What's the question that he asks? He asks, what is lawful? He he begins to challenge them right where they are. He begins to say to them right where they are, what is lawful? To do what? To do good or evil. To save a life or to kill. Wow. Brings it right back. That ultimately the story is a story of God doing good, not evil, bringing and saving many lives, not killing. And so he has the man stand in front of them. And when he asks this basic, simple question, what do they do? Absolutely nothing. They stay silent. Can you imagine this? If somebody asked you today, if I were just up here today and I just asked you outside of the context of this story, what is lawful? To do good or to do evil? uh, To save a life or to kill? I think most of us would say good and save a life. Like that. Wouldn't think twice about it, right? But they're silent. And Jesus, filled with anger, winds up being compassionate on this man, and stretches out his hand. Again, showing I am the King. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ who has come. But I'm not going to do it in your terms, on your agenda, especially when it's all wrapped up in your nationalistic identity. Because the identity that you have is wrapped up in a story. And that story is of a God who delivers, who heard your cries and brought you out. And then got you out of the patterns that were killing you as a people. And invites you into the rhythms of life that will restore you and keep you going as a people and as a human being will bring life to you. But he doesn't just challenge there. If you were to read it down, and I'm assuming that most of you have read, we also see the story that that this stirs up a lot of stuff. We've already seen that they start plotting against him. Later, he challenges his, his mother and his brothers come. And they say... He's obviously off his rocker. They come to get him. Maybe, they, maybe they're hearing the rumors that, that they're plotting to kill him. So let's go get him before some harm comes to him. And so they come. You see, this was another idea of Jewish identity. Uh, I know we all love our families, but I want us to know that Jim Dobson wasn't the first to focus on the family. You see, the Jews, they they really, really were tight-knit when it comes to family. Oftentimes, you were business partners. You went into the family business, and uh, there was no Social Security. There was no uh, retirement programs. There were no 401Ks or Roth IRAs. You just worked until you couldn't work. And so, sons and dads or moms and daughters would often be business partners together. They would work together. They would live near each other or, are you ready for this one? Live in the same house with each other? Aren't you glad to be an American today? (laughs) This was something that was that was really at the core of who they were as Jewish folks. And because families were connected, not just, you know, we're we're the McVeigh family. This is different. These families were connected to the tribes of Israel. And the tribes of Israel were what God had done to give the land away. And all this, so all of this gets wrapped up in our identity. So much so that loyalty to family was seen as loyalty to Israel. You see how it's very subtle, can get wrapped up in the nationalistic identity and and how we can get stuck in those things. So if you break the link of family, you are undermining a major pillar of Judaism. Wow. Talk about Talk about shame motivation, right? So when mom or dad ask you to do something, there's a lot behind it, more than just what they would like. And so we have this idea, and so Jesus again challenges again this idea of identity, of a a people that are stuck just at the identity place, and He drives them back further. And what's the question He asks there? Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Now you and I might not think of it this way, but if you were to turn to Deuteronomy 26, 5, you would see that, that God had put into this, this, uh, this faith, this idea of how people were to answer when they were asked who they were. And it begins like this. My father was a wandering Aramean. In other words, my father was no, no one important. That's the story of Abram who is living in the land of Ur with his family. And here it is. What does he do? God calls him and says, go to a land I will show you. And Abram went. And God counted it to him as righteousness. So he left his family. He he broke with tradition. Right at the beginning we have someone who for the sake of what God was calling them to do breaks with their own family and goes and does his own thing. We don't have time to go through that whole story, but if you're interested in that, start at Genesis chapter 12 and work your way forward and you'll begin to see what this story is all about. And when God was establishing covenant with the people of Israel, he says, "This is what you are to say. My father was a wandering Aramean nobody special he left he broke with family Jesus is now in this uh, beginning to say that God may have something stronger for you than just what mom or dad or grandma or grandpa is telling you that yes I am the Messiah the Christ the son of God the one that you are waiting for But I'm not going to be squeezed into your nationalistic identity. Because the God we serve is the God who can take a wandering Aramean and make of them a great nation. The goal, brothers and sisters, is to join with what God is doing. And guess what? When you join with what God is doing, Jesus says, Those who are doing the will of my Father, they are my mother and my brothers and my sister. You will never be alone when you begin when you follow God. Follow long enough and God will call other people around you. And those ties can become stronger than family. That, that's hard to hear, isn't it? Good thing Jesus is only talking to Jews back in the first century. <laughs> We're comfortable with that and we'd like that, wouldn't we? But the truth of the matter is, is that the reason this is called good news and the reason we are reading this today in the 21st century is because Jesus asks those same questions to you and me when we get caught up and stuck in identity. And sometimes our identity is even flowing out of the wrong narrative, the wrong story. You see, for us, I think... We could spend a lot of time letting Jesus talk to us about the identity that you and I get from our jobs. Myself included. Can I, can I say that? It's nice to be called pastor. But that is not my identity. There is something deeper that Jesus calls me to. So where do you feel like I get? you get your identity? Is it from your job? Is, is it from uh, what you make and what you have in the bank? Is it from the car you drive? Is it from the clothes that you wear? Is it whatever it is? Jesus is coming to you today and saying, Can we move to the right story? Because I want, to, I want to shape and I want to share this story with you because this story is going to move you out of whatever it is that you say you are finding your identity in, and it's going to shape and change things. Jesus might be coming to us in our day and age to the United States of America in 2017. And maybe the question that He asks to you and to me Is is it better to save a life or to kill? Uh, Right away, I I have a feeling because it wrestles within my own heart. We would, we would, I think we, because we're, we're talkers, I I doubt that we would remain silent. We would probably be saying to Jesus, well, it depends on the circumstance. Jesus, you know, if they were, if they were really gonna, you know, do this or do that or maybe they've already done something really horrific, we should probably do, you know, and on and on and on and on. But I think the question would keep coming to us over and over and over and over again. You see, we kind of get wrapped up in that identity, don't we? We're okay with Jesus until Jesus begins to ask questions of us as Americans. And oftentimes, we say we're American Christians, and I will say to us gently, I've, I've, I've done this before, and Jesus says it to me. When I say I'm an American Christian, I have my adjectives in reverse order. Because the truth of the matter is, Jesus is calling you to be a Christian who lives in America. And your allegiance is to Him and Him alone. Can I get an amen for that? That's hard, isn't it? And we've gotten wrapped up and we've let that American identity be the, be the, the shape. And, and even our story, you know, which is that we live in a great country. And hear me today, we live in a great country. I don't want you to think Pastor Jeff is just, you know, trying to run America into the ground. We live in a great country, but just like the Jews, who took the something great like the Sabbath that was connected to a wonderful story of deliverance and made it a badge of honor, we have taken something as great as just having the chance to be born into the richest country in the history of the world, and we have worn, worn it as a badge of honor to where now we think we have to be better Americans than insert political party name that you follow right here. Okay? Okay. At least I'm more patriotic than those, insert your word, liberal, conservative, Nazi, whatever. So Jesus would challenge us to say, if that's where you spend most of your day, your identity is being shaped in the wrong place. Oh, ouch. That hurts. And he might be saying to us, you might want to wrestle this week just a little bit with letting Jesus ask you, is it better to save a life or to kill? Because if your life is shaped by a God who would rather die on a cross than create more victims, that's going to change your identity, what you value, and what your behavior is. Just like fruit growing on a tree. Maybe that's why Jesus used that metaphor so much. And Paul after him. What else? What about family reputation? What has God called you to do? Whatever it is, he will equip you for it. I talked with a young man down at camp this week. And uh, he saw I was wearing a hat. It said, uh, it didn't say the university that we sponsor, Olivet Nazarene University. It was that other Nazarene University down south that shall remain nameless. But he saw TNU on the on the oh hey I'm enrolled there. I said really oh well that's that's awesome I'm starting this fall. Good good what you know and and then of course the question is what are you majoring in? He said well. He said I, I signed up. Um, I think he said engineering. I, I'd signed up for engineering. But you see. I felt that God, when I was when I was in 10th grade, I felt God call me to be a pastor. But my family was not excited about that. And I had lots of hard conversations with my family, and they, they really didn't. And so he said, so I'm signed up for engineering, but I've been here today, and I've been here all this week, and I've been listening to the messages. Can I get another plug for 4 o'clock today uh, down at Indian Lake? He said, "I have I've been here all week. And God has convicted me. I felt that Jesus said to me, I have called you. Nothing wrong with being an engineer, but I have called you to be a pastor." And that meant he had to have a hard conversation with his family. Because if your reputation is all wrapped up in family and that's the only place you get to your identity. Jesus is always going to come and say there's more. There's something deeper. What I've called you to, I will give you family. Step out and go and and I'm happy to say this young man will be a, a freshman this year and he's going into the ministry. Because the one who calls him is the one who is shaping his story, which, which shapes his identity and is shaping his values and is changing his behavior. So what about us? What does that mean for you and for me? It means that our story needs to start in the right place, my friends. And our story certainly has to be bigger than something that happened in the summer and fall of 1776. You see, our story, our story on this side of the cross begins at Mount Calvary where God in flesh was crucified. Because, what does John 3.16 tell us? God so loved... Nice people! God so loved people of a certain ethnicity. God God so loved people who do the right things. God so loved... What? The what? Wow. If that's our story, I think that my identity and your identity will be radically challenged. That's hard. Maybe today you're like you're like those people. Oh, Pastor Jeff's—he's, uh, you know, I don't know about this. Maybe you're thinking. Uh, hopefully, you're not plotting my murder. But but you know what? This is the gospel, and it calls us to radical allegiance to the one who so loved all the world. That he gave his one and only, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. That's our story. Does that challenge your identity? Does that challenge what you value? Does that, is that going to shape your behavior? I sure hope so, because He is our King. Can we just sing? This is my story, this is my song, Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Lord Jesus, it is hard for us when you show up, just like you did thousands of years ago into your own day and age, and you challenged The people of your day and age when they were stuck in nationalistic identity or whatever identity they thought gave them value and worth. And you show up and you begin asking questions. Questions that are intended to pull us deeper into the narrative of a God who so loved the world. That when we are captured by that story, it transforms us from the inside out. So, God, today we say, Come, ask the questions of us, help us not to be like the Pharisees who have no reply because compassion is gone or because we have our agenda. Help us not to be like the families who just think that what you're asking is crazy and try and get you off the stage, but help us to be the ones in the audience who say, and hear you say, the ones who do my will. The will of the Father. The Father who so loved. Those are the ones who are my mother, my brothers, my sisters. So whatever we need to do today, God, we surrender to You. Get us on the right story. Let that just put everything else in place. And help us to leave here as followers of the way, realizing that You are the way. As people who are open to Your questions, Because the truth is, God, that we often get stuck, whether it's in behaviors, whether it's in values and what we value, whether it's in our identity like we've heard today. Keep calling us, God. Pull us back into the story because it is only your story that will transform us and transform the world. Help us to be people of the God who so loved all the world that He gave that all the world might have life right now and life to the full. Help us to be proclaimers of no condemnation, but of salvation in Jesus' name.